Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Uh, Luke chapter number 9. The title of this message is Empowering Those Around You. Verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power. I just want to stop there for a minute. When he called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. I think it's significant that he has given them now the power to do what he has been doing for them. And now he's giving them the power to do it. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John, that is John the baptizer, had been raised from the dead. Others, that Elijah had appeared, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him, Jesus. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. And he replied, You give them something to eat. And they answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. He gave them power. You want to make the people that you come in contact with every day, you want to make them feel like a million dollars? Would you like to do that? Then Jesus gives us a secret to making everybody you come in contact feel like a million dollars. He empowered those around him. 
the greatest leaders in business, the greatest leaders in churches, the greatest leaders in schools, the greatest leaders in just about any area of career opportunity you can think of, the greatest leaders in all of those empower the people who are around them, and they're not afraid to do it. They give away their power and their authority to those around them without feeling jealous about it, without missing the authority. And it is those kind of leaders who come to be known as the greatest of the great leaders. Jesus was a master at doing this, at empowering those around him. And that's why I just camped out just for a moment, a pregnant moment, on that phrase, he gave them power. Because he's so significant. It's one of the reasons why they loved him so much. I'm not saying they were perfect, and I'm not saying that some of them didn't deny him and forsake him, but, but ultimately they followed him, they, they left their occupations and their families, and they followed him until he died. And part of the reason, a big part of it was, he empowered them. Sandra Tibbs is the founder of the Neverest Solutions Group. It's a leadership development, coaching, and consulting group. And she says this. She says, when leaders empower those around them, they are unleashing the power of creativity and even productivity. How is this possible, she says? The essence of empowering others is to trust that they will get the task done without you having to look over their shoulder. Graceland Tan is a writer at a group called Volusion, and they also do leadership consulting. She's a graduate from Rice University, and she says this. She says, although it may be a little counterintuitive, being an effective leader is not about gaining more power. Instead, it is about empowering those around you. As Theodore Roosevelt once said, she goes on, the best executive is one who has the sense enough to pick good people to do what that leader wants done and the self-restraint to keep from meddling with them while they do what needs to be done. Theodore Roosevelt. She said, and he's got a point. For by giving your team the go-ahead to use their creativity to solve issues on their own, you not only give them more autonomy but you help them feel happier and more fulfilled. Tomorrow, you, whether at school or at work or at your house or wherever you go, you will come in contact with people. Some of them are going to be work colleagues. Some of them will be students. Some of them will be fellow church members. Some of them will be uh, your own customers if you own or manage a business. I want you to think about something, and I want you to be deliberate about thinking about it. Are you ready for this? Determine, make the decision now, proactively, that tomorrow, the people you come in contact with, you're going to somehow empower them in some way. You say, well, how in the world do I do that? How do I do that? It may be as simple as, 
as, a, as doing something for them. It may be as simple as offering an encouragement to them. It may be as simple as I was praying for you today. It may be as, as easy as uh, a, a compliment for something they did or showing appreciation for the person they are. And if you're the type of person who does not normally do this kind of thing so that it's unnatural for you to do it, believe me, you will shock them into heart failure if you do it. It'll be so good. But it will be good. Jesus empowered his disciples. He freed them up to do some things that normally... He did. Casting out demons, healing diseases, preaching the kingdom. Those three things are things that up through Luke chapter 8, only Jesus has been doing. Do you realize that? And now, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, at the very outset, is empowering his disciples to do the things that he has been doing. Now, he did not need them to do that. After all, he is Jesus, right? And he is the Son of God. Right? And he is God. Yes. And so he could have done all those things and it would not have even taken an ounce more of his energy to do so because he was God. But he chose to let somebody else do it. That's amazing, ladies and gentlemen. He chose not to keep all the spotlight to himself, but to highlight somebody else. Let them do what he normally would do, even though he knew they couldn't do it close to as well as he did. You know why those of us who have a hard time letting go of power and letting go of authority, why we don't do it? Because we don't believe anybody can do it as well as we can. We don't trust other people to do what we do. I mean, you've said it before, if you want something done right you got to do it yourself. Well, that's not really true. It's not really true. The fact that somebody does something a little bit different than you and I might do doesn't mean that it's done with less quality than what we might do it. Now, sometimes, yes, but not always. It's not just a universal principle that anytime somebody else does it, it's going to be less quality than what we do. Jesus definitely knew when he sent these guys out that they could not do what he could do as well as he could do it. But he sent them out anyway. And I'll tell you something else. He didn't go with them. Not in physical body. He did not go with them. Now, certainly the power of the Holy Spirit was upon them. There's no doubt about that. But he physically, because when he was was here on earth, those 30-some-odd years that he was here as a human being, there, one, one of the things we have to understand is that the normal attributes of God, such as his everywhere presentness, his omnipresence, he set that aside in order to come here in human flesh. What I'm saying to you is that when he was here, he wasn't everywhere all the time. Now, God the Father was, God the Holy Spirit was, but God the Son at that point was not everywhere present. And so when he sent these guys out, he did not go with them. Which means he didn't micromanage what they were doing. Could he have? Yes. Would they have been better if he had? The result might have been better, but they would not have necessarily been better. He set them free. 
You see, when you and I empower somebody, not only do we set them free to do it, but we also give them the freedom to make their own mistakes without blasting them. Parents do it with kids. Spouses do it with their spouses. I hope. And we can do it as Christians because Jesus exemplified this master trait of empowering people. Now, there are four things he did with his disciples. On top of giving them freedom and, and not micromanaging managing them and, and allowing for their mistakes, there are four things he did that I want to I highlight here that are ways in which Jesus empowered his disciples. First of all, he empowered his disciples by teaching them dependence. He empowered them by teaching them dependence. Listen to this again. Beginning with verse 1, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Those are the things he's been doing. And he told them, now get this, verse 3, he told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Excuse me? Jesus, you're telling me to go out into all kinds of towns and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to preach the kingdom, but you don't want me to take an extra shirt? You don't want me to take any food? You don't want me to take any bag of hygiene products? These people are not going to let, they're going to think I've got a demon, you see. They're going to think I need something cast out of me, right? What was he doing? He wasn't trying to teach them to be foolish, what he was trying to do was to teach them dependence. You see, you and I can't be empowered in Christian ministry until we realize that we can only do what we do for Christ effectively if it is by the power of Christ. The moment we try to take anything with us and highlight the the tools we have, we've lost it. You've heard me tell uh, one of my favorite short stories, at least part of it, William Faulkner's The Bear. About that team of hunters down in uh, an area where there was this big bear. All the hunting club talked about this big bear. People had seen it at a, in a distance. People had heard about it. They had heard it rustling through the woods, but nobody had ever gotten the big bear. They had killed smaller bears, but not the big bear. And William Faulkner's story is about uh, a young man who was going in the uh, bear hunting club for the first time, and he was determined, since he'd heard about this bear, he was going to show everybody, and he was going to get the big bear. And he had all the equipment. He had a couple of rifles, a couple of canteens. He had some blankets and extra clothes in his backpack. He had uh, extra clothes in case it got cold, which it did get cold. He had enough ammunition to go with his guns. He had, his, he had a couple of knives. I mean, he was ready for bear. And so he goes out early with all the rest of the hunters, and he, he goes out to the place where, where he's waiting for the bear, and, and he waits there, and he waits an hour, and then another hour, and then another hour. And by this time, many of the other hunters have already made their way back to the camp for a break, but he's determined. He's not going to give up. He's going to show everybody else, even the older guys, I'm going to get this big bear. And he waits. And finally, everybody else later in the day goes back to the camp. He's out in the woods by himself and he decides 
Evidently, the bear, this big bear, is deeper in the woods than I thought. And so he got down from his stand and he starts walking through the woods, deeper into the woods. And he goes, I don't know how many, a couple of miles maybe, and he decides that he's got too much stuff on. He's burning up and so he takes off one layer of clothes and he and he drinks all the water from one canteen and leaves it at one one tree and then he lays down one of the guns, one of the boxes of shells he's got and he goes further into the woods another couple of miles and he can sense that the bear is there. Occasionally in the distance he'll turn because he'll hear the rustling of leaves and all of a sudden when he turns the rustling stops and he knows You just know. You know when he's there, but he doesn't see him. He can feel the presence of that big bear. And he goes another couple of miles into the woods. He's deep in the woods now, deeper than anybody else, as far as he knows, has ever been into the woods. And he drinks the rest of his water in his final canteen. He lays it down. He strips off another coat, takes his backpack off. He doesn't need that blanket and the extra clothes, and he just throws those down. And now all he's got is his gun. He takes one of his knives, puts it down. He goes a little bit further and he's trying to make a trail all the way so he can find his way back. Finally, he takes off his final gun, his last knife. He has nothing on him. And he walks another 200 yards into the woods. He's looking down. He sees some scratching in the, pawing into the ground, moving apart the leaves that had fallen during the autumn. And he looks up, and he is staring eyeball to eyeball with the big bear. And he didn't have a gun. He didn't have a bullet. He didn't have a knife. He didn't have a blanket. He didn't have a canteen. And he was down to his last level of clothes. But it was only... When he got deep into the woods with nothing else on him, that he got to see the bear. I love that story. That's what Jesus is saying. Fellas, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Don't you take a bag. Don't you take a weapon. Don't you take an extra shirt. Don't you take... uh, any, any of these things you think you need, you go in there and I want you to be totally dependent upon me because when you see what, what I'm going to let you see, I don't want you to ever say that you saw it because of the tools that you carried into the woods. I want you to know it was only because of me. Jesus empowered his disciples by teaching them dependence. Secondly, Jesus empowered his disciples by protecting them from harm. I don't know if you noticed it as we read this story. Did you hear did you hear the intrusion? There was an intrusion in this story. Let me read it again. Jesus called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons, cure diseases, sent them out to proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick. He said, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no shirt. Whatever house you enter there, you stay till you leave that town. If they don't welcome you, leave the town, shake the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Stop right there. Now, the next sentence, I would expect to hear about them coming back 
and telling Jesus what they had discovered. We don't see that until verse 10, but we have verses 7, 8, and 9 to deal with here. So what are they about? You won't believe it. Now, Herod the Tetrarch, what's Herod got to do with it? Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. He was perplexed because some were saying John was raised from the dead or Elijah had appeared or a prophet had come back to life. But he said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And Herod tried to see Jesus. And it just stops right there. The intrusion stops right there. He was trying to see Jesus. This is Herod the king. How many kings do you know who can't find a way to see somebody if they want to see them? Hello? But it just stops right there. Why? And then after it stops, then verse 10 comes back to the disciples, the apostles return from this trip. Why, why did Luke include that little tidbit about Herod? Herod wants to see Jesus. He's perplexed about who Jesus is. He wants to see Jesus. And he tried to see him. Guess what? He never saw him. He never sees him right here. Now, he'll get to interview him at the end of his life. But right here, at the beginning of the ministry, he doesn't get to see him. How is it that a king who who insists and is desperate to see someone doesn't get to see them? I think Luke is trying to tell us something here. You see, Herod's an idiot. He's a lunatic. He will kill you for, um, for, at the drop of a hat. He married a woman named Mariamne, and they had, uh, they had a couple of three boys, and he, got, and he said that he was madly in love with Mariamne, but he got wind that she and two of their boys were trying to take the kingship away from him, and he had them assassinated. He had his own wife assassinated, the one that he said he was deeply in love with, and two of his boys. What kind of man will kill his children? Kill those two boys. He's an idiot. He's the one who, when Jesus was born, when he was born, his daddy, this Herod's daddy, when Jesus was born, had all the boys in Bethlehem age two and under massacred because he thought by doing that he'd kill Jesus. You see, now his son Herod is the one that we're talking about right here. The apple has not fallen far from the tree, ladies and gentlemen. This man's an idiot. And so Jesus does not let him get to him, nor does he let him get to his disciples. If you care about people enough to empower people, and you already know this, you'll also care enough about them to protect them from the Herods in this world. You better believe it. Jesus empowered them by teaching them dependence. He empowered them by protecting them from harm. Number three, he empowered them by giving them responsibilities of significance. You know what busy work is? Hello? Raise your hand if you know what busy work is. Let me tell you something. You don't empower people by giving them 
busy work. That's not how you empower people. You empower people by giving them something significant to do. Uh, Let me go a little bit further. You empower people by giving them something that they perceive significant to do. Verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They'd been seeing him do that. Now, he could have said, I want you to go out in these places and buy some bananas. We're going to need to eat at some point. Go buy some bread. We're going to have 5,000 plus men here in a little while. We've got to feed them. Go find something. That would have been okay, but it wouldn't have been as significant as, would you guys like to preach the kingdom? Would you like to be able to do what I've been doing, heal the sick, cast out demons? Would you like to do that? I'm about to power you, empower you to do just that. Forget the bananas. Forget the groceries. We'll handle that when the little boy comes over here with his lunch pail. We're going to do something significant. You want to make somebody feel like a million dollars tomorrow? Empower them with your words of encouragement and compliment. Empower them to do something significant. And then finally, Jesus empowered his disciples by allowing them to partake in the rewards. Verse 10, when the the apostles returned from all that trip of healing and exercising demons and preaching the kingdom... They reported to Jesus what they had done, and he took them away privately. You reckon maybe he wanted to hear more? He wanted to hear the report of what they had done. Don't you enjoy, I mean, let's just be honest. When you go out and you do something that you deem to be significant, don't you just want to tell somebody That something good was done? I mean, it's not that you're trying to brag on what you've done, but let's face it, we're all human here. We can be honest. When you accomplish something great, don't you want somebody to know about it? Don't you want to be able to say something about it to somebody? The apostles returned. And Jesus said, boys, I'm going to sit right here because I know you've got something to say to me. And I'm not going to interrupt you. I want to hear what you've got to say. It's important to me. He let them share the rewards. But that wasn't the only time. Later in the passage, there are over 5,000 people there. Luke says, that's just the men, not counting the women and the children. Maybe 10,000 or upwards. They feed that whole crowd with five loaves and two fish. You know the story. And after they're through, they get 12 basketfuls of the fragments that were left over. And here's what verse 17 says. All the crowd, the 5,000 plus, ate and were satisfied. And then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Somebody said, man, that was a pretty rotten job having to pick up all that leftover. Not at all. These guys didn't think this number of people could be fed with five loaves and two fish. Do you think it was insignificant that Jesus said, fellas, you want to pick up the fragments? Lord, there are not going to be any fragments. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) Get up those baskets. You're going to need 12 of them, by the way. I'm going to send you out there. What was he doing? He was letting them share in the rewards of what they were doing. 
He didn't keep all the credit to himself. Could he have? You better believe it. He's the only one who did it. They didn't have anything to do with it except for just being used by him. He was the one who deserved all the credit and praise. But he didn't hold it for himself. He let them share in the rewards. John Maxwell, who writes about leadership, in 2008 said this. He said, he said the person who said it's lonely at the top was not a great leader. It's lonely at the top was never made by a great leader. He says, if you are leading others and you're lonely, then you're not doing it right, he says. What kind of leader would leave everyone behind and take the journey alone? A selfish one, he says. Taking people to the top with you is what good leaders do. Empowering others is the main role of a leader. So if you're feeling lonely... Take a moment to reflect on why no one seems to be following. Ladies and gentlemen, the best life is the life that empowers the people around it to do great things. Let's pray. Father, you have laid for us the example of empowering people. What a blessing you are. How awesome it must have been for those 12 guys to be sent out to do what they up to that point had only seen you do. And you were saying to them, all right, guys, you've been practicing, you've been watching. It's time for you to get behind the wheel and ride this bus. Drive it. Let's go. Lord, tonight and tomorrow, help us to empower the people that you put in our path. Let us leave a whole line of people feeling like a million bucks tomorrow because we decided in some way to empower them. In Jesus' name, amen.